everyone is thinking of stop gaps and what we can do until we can reopen our restaurants. But we just thought, look, it has to be bigger than that. This is bigger than that. It's not just about um, reopening the restaurant. We need to reshape um, our lives and also reshape what what we're doing and what we're offering because COVID-19 is going to change the way we live, whether we like it or not. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It takes years for a restaurant to grow into its shell. In one way or another, restaurants are brands, and all brands, big or small, take time to evolve and ensure goodwill and trust. A successful brand, if you get the model right, has the ability to succeed in many different sectors within the food market. But a pandemic can change that in an instant. Mike McInerney is one of Australia's most loved chefs. He's the owner of Kitchen by Mike, a brand synonymous with elevated everyday eats in comfortable surrounds. Mike, how are you going? G'day, Anthony. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, A lot of people have had incredibly tough times right now, but um, when it comes to your world, it's been a bit of a perfect storm in the sense of sort of everything that you do and the the different things that you do have been impacted quite dramatically. Um, Can you tell us a bit about those early stages of when the pandemic started and what impact it had on the various things you do? Sure. You'd think that I'd be pretty safe, wouldn't you? A place in the airport, a restaurant in the city, and then, you know, a a creative director position at at a farmer's market. But um, it it all got wiped. Um, Look, we we sort of hit February and we were doing really, really well. But the news was picking up all over the shop about this pandemic. And we were starting to get – we actually had a, a doctor that came in for dinner one night and he called me afterwards and said, listen, Mike, what's your COVID plan? And I said, what do you mean? He said, look, this is going to get really serious really quickly. Um, You really need to start looking at sanitizers, signage, distancing. And this is stuff that we hadn't heard of yet. This This is well ahead of the curve. And we think, oh, my God, this is really serious. And I really respect this chap. He is ahead of the curve in many ways, in more ways than one. So we started thinking about this and we had we started having sanitizer around and signage and a lot of our customers really didn't know what we were doing. And But it still didn't matter how ahead of the curve we were. It happened so quick. I reckon in about, well, the airport happened first. There was this huge amount of panic with the airport. Um, so that closed really quickly. Then the restaurant in the city, the city turned into a ghost town in a matter of two weeks. We had probably one of the best weeks we'd had for a long time uh, in March. Then the second week it halved. And then the third week, we didn't even have enough. We didn't even take enough over the till to pay for the coffee that we'd bought. Like literally it went so quick. So the, the airport closed, restaurant, we had to close that really fast. And then... The Carriage Works Farmers Market. Um, you know, we, we tried to hold that on as long as possible, but COVID, it's not just about food, it's about all sectors. And the art sector, like the hospitality sector, has been heavily, heavily hit. 
um, and won't recover, I don't think, a lot of, lot of parts of the arts sector and, and hospitality. There's a lot of people that just won't reopen. And Carriage Works went into VA, um, as you, you probably know. So, you know, we had to shut up shop for uh, the farmer's market. And so th there's a huge rebound on this. It means our producers, who we, as a restaurant, love to buy from and love to support, now have no one to sell their their product to so it, it just happened really quick and you know i'm i'm very i'm very in touch with all of my producers and, and i'm close to all of my staff and and we had to come up with a plan really really fast um it, it just took us by surprise what was the impact in those early days in regards to staff and and trade you know did you have to stand a lot of staff down and and, and, what, and how many were there the the airport um emirates um, who are my partners in the airport, stood everybody down. Um, they're known as an international company, uh, even though their offices are here because their company's registered overseas. No one was supported by the JobKeepers scheme, so they stood everybody down. So all of the staff that have been with us a long time there were straight out of the job. Um, in the city, um, I didn't stand any of my regular staff down. We tried to keep them on by doing a couple of different initiatives for as, as long as we possibly could. Um, however, what we found in the end there with, with no government support for any of the overseas staff, which all of us have in hospitality, they are, they're, they're, they're the blood and soul of what we do. You know, they're, they're, they're part of hospitality. They bring another angle to what we do and, um, and we couldn't support them either. So I ended up keeping my entire kitchen staff on uh, my manager um, and a, a couple of casual waiters and, and that's really all we could keep on um, and and we just started thinking oh what can we do and I spent a week literally with my head down thinking okay Mike you've you've got to really pull this one out of the bag because um, <laughs> you're going to lose everything if you don't literally so that's a lot of a lot of pressure. Like, how how are you feeling personally at this time? And you know, were the concerns that it's all over? Well, I've got I've got three young boys, beautiful wife who who needs support, and you know, it's um, it's it's pretty it, it hits pretty hard because you know, in in restaurants, margins are so tight, and there's never a great deal of spare cash in the bank at the best of times. So, you know, we had about a week's in the kitty there to get us through and I knew that and it was time to really think of something something that we've always wanted to do but also something that we had to do and and that's what we ended up doing we ended up forming a new business um, called Kitchen by Mike at home and it's a, a ready meal delivery business um, that we've just started it's a it's a month old um, and it's kept all of my staff working well it's kept the wolf away from the door and um, yeah, it's um, it's it's really um, it's it's the way forward for us, and it means that, you know, I guess everyone was is thinking of stop gaps and what we can do until we can reopen our restaurants. But we just thought, look, it it has to be bigger than that. This is bigger than that. It's not just about um, reopening the restaurant. We need to reshape um, our lives and also reshape what what we're doing and what we're offering because. COVID-19 is going to change the way we live, whether we like it or not. And um, so we've, we've hired a new kitchen um, out in Marrickville. Uh, we, we lease a space 
um, off some friends of ours um, called Sticks. They're a really great catering company. They had some spare space. So uh, we're producing the ready meals out of there and we do a delivery once a week. And it just means that we can keep doing this when we reopen the restaurant. Um, it's not just a stopgap, it's a new business that we've, we've attacked and, and is working well. Where, where uh, does the restaurant stand at the moment? What's the situation? Look, you know, why am I a chef? Why am I in hospitality? It's because I, I care for people. And I love, to pe- I love to see people's faces and I love to give and, and I like to cook. And, you know, you can't do that if you don't have an audience. The, the city is a ghost town. There's no one in the city at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, we'd love to open, but we can't. We'd, we'd lose so much money if we opened the door today. It would just be crazy. I was in there yesterday um, just doing a stock take and, you know, turning things on and turning things off, keeping keeping the, the machine sort of ticking over a little bit and making sure there's no leaks or anything. Honestly, I, I saw maybe a handful of people in our in our precinct. It's just ridiculous. So we just we can't afford to open. We'd love to open, but we just there's no one to cook for. So it worries us. This new kitchen by Mike model that you have at home, um, can you tell yes. us a bit more about that? And and what's the response been like? Because a lot of people are trying to pivot to different models. Um, but yeah. how's the success been of yours? Look, we've always look. I've always wanted to 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 bring food to people at their homes because you can't eat out all the time. And I think what we do at Kitchen by Mike is really simple wholesome food it lends itself to eating at home so we we write a menu uh every week um, we produce it it's on the internet um, so you go on our website and you can order um, the cutoff time is monday at midday and then we'll deliver to you on the tuesday and it's the, it's basically frozen ready meals um and we we're using the same ingredients that we've always used small producers uh, we care for it. We cook cook it in exactly the same way, um, but we go a step further by, by we're in a HACCP kitchen as well, so we're in a very safe environment. Uh, we really care about that. We care about what we're giving the customers. We care about how it gets delivered to them, um, and yeah, that's that's what it is. So you can you can choose from around thirty different things on our menu um, to get delivered to you, and just to either eat straight away or put in the freezer when you when you're a bit stressed and. You, you need some help, then you know there's a, a, a wagyu and suet crust pie to pull out the oven, or a meatloaf, or you know we've got a lot of vegan things on there as well. So that's that's where we've taken it, and it's only a month old. It's still developing. Um, it still has, it, it, you know, it's still got teething problems, but you know it's been really well received. We we actually decided uh, very early on in the piece after our third delivery, our third week, we sent out a customer survey because we don't want to be doing the wrong thing and not know about it. We really wanted to make sure that we're hitting the right points um, and knowing what we're not doing right. So we sent the survey out and to be honest with you, we had 96% positive and 4% negative and we really learned a lot because the people were really supportive over what they said um, and there's a lot of things that we want to work on to to give more of an option and to suit more people. A lot of people want kid-friendly food, so we're really working on some of that stuff. Look, I'm, I'm a dad. 
I know kid-friendly food. But my kid-friendly food's a little bit different from somebody else's kid-friendly food. <laughs> I'd imagine it'd be pretty good. <laughs> so, so we're working on that. We're doing some breakfast options. Uh, we're supporting um, as many producers as we can. We've got a carriage works. We've got two carriage works uh, farmers market produce boxes available. Um, so yeah, we're, we're doing as much as we can, but and trying to really hit the hit the nail on the head wherever we possibly can with that. But it it it. it it resonates with Kitchen by Mike um, customers. It, it is the food that you line up for. It's the same. Um, it's the same pulled pork that we do on the, the the big shoulder. It's the same roast chickens. You know, it's it's the same sweet potato and red cabbage gratin. It's the same stuff that you eat at Kitchen by Mike, but we we prep it so you just have to warm it at home. Has there been challenges involved, um, given that it is at home and you know you possibly can't do everything the same? And you're also putting it in the hands oh, of sure. people who aren't as capable as you as well. Um, yeah. You know, what's, oh, totally. Has it, has, is it, you know, is the menu a bit different to the way you would do it in the restaurant? Yeah. I can't, I can't do a lot of things for this menu. I really can't. I'm struggling to do salads um, for people because I can do a salad for you to eat today, but how do I know you're not going to put it in the fridge and eat it tomorrow? Yeah. It's not going to be as good. So I'm really focusing on things that translate to being stored and put away and eaten in a couple of days or eaten next week. That's what we're really working on. Um, that's what the menu um, is really focused on. And, yeah, we've look, we, we're using machinery that we've never used at the restaurant before. We don't have brat pans at, at Bent Street. You know, we don't, we don't have huge combi ovens or we don't have, we don't have a, a walk-in blast freezer. You know, we don't have any of this stuff. So we're getting used to using it and it's a godsend that we have it here to use. And, and we're, doing, we're doing huge quantities. We're, we're, we're doing quantities five and six times what we would have done at Bent Street. So, wow. you know, we, we have to test. We have to test before we put it on the menu um, because, you know, a, a variation in, in ingredients such as chili or salt or garlic, as you scale it up, five, six, seven, eight to ten times, it reacts entirely different than if you're only using a clove of garlic for four or five people. So, you know, it's a lot of these recipes really take a bit of time to work on. But um, I think we're doing a pretty good job, but we're, we're not perfect. Um, you know, we, we, we try and tweak and, and fix, but we also give cooking instructions as well. We try and tell people how long to put it in the oven for or how to, how to cook it. Um, how long for, what temperature to, to preheat your oven to, what you can serve with it, um, and, and other things. So we try and give as much direction as possible so the punter has the best experience possible at home. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, the oven that you have at home is different than my one. My oven at home, I have to keep the door closed with a, with a broom handle. So um, I know that I need to cook it a bit longer than you might need to cook yours, but I think the times are pretty close. <laughs> well, mate. How did the Kitchen by Mike idea come about? Because you've got a pretty amazing history in food and like you were head chef at Rockpool at one stage. And, you know, although, you know, the use of produce is the same, it's a very different model that you're delivering to the market. Um, Can you tell us through those early days of Kitchen by Mike and how it came about? It's a long story. Are you ready for it? (laughs) (laughs) So we, um, we, we decided that um, our third little boy, William, was born um, in 2009 and we decided, Joss and I, she's English, and I'd lived 
before I came back to run Rockpool, I'd lived um, the mid-90s up until 2006 in London, and I cooked some pretty amazing places there and ran some great restaurants. Came back to run Rockpool for Neil, and we just decided, well, we hadn't decided actually, we just didn't know whether we wanted to live in the UK or whether we wanted to live in Australia. We had to make that decision. So as soon as William was born, we decided to pack up everything and go back to the UK and try and find utopia, try and find the next stage of our life. And if we didn't find it, then we knew we had to come back to Australia. So that's what we had to do. We had to make a plunge. So we went back to um, 2009, we went back and um, we based ourselves at my mother-in-law's organic farm in Wales huge organic farm they're totally off the grid they grow all of their own stuff they've got one of the oldest apple orchards in in the uk um they make their own soap power it's it's incredible we we even sent our our little boys to the local village school to learn welshable languages which is pretty cool <laughs> anyway while they um while they went to school um joss and i would drive through the british countryside trying to find this utopia trying to find you know where did we want to set the next chapter of our life up and at this time, I'd built um, a brick oven from scratch. I'd never built before, but I spent three months building this brick oven. It was an old um, Alan Scott uh, plan. So I, I built that. And then I started hand kneading <laughs> 30 kilos of sourdough twice a week, getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning, firing this old oven that we built. You know, it was take, took five hours to get hot. And then I'd sell it at the school car park. Um, Wow. And the first time I started selling sourdough, these guys had no idea what it was. It didn't come sliced and it wasn't in a bag. So they thought, well, what is this? And it took me ages to get them onto it. But then after a while, I didn't need to go to the car park anymore. They'd come to the farm and buy it. And, and that was great. And then during this time, we lived off this really amazing um, kitchen garden. The kitchen garden um, had everything you could imagine. And there were these four beds at the top and they were roped off and um, I asked my mother-in-law, why, why aren't we using these, these beds? And she said, well, I, I rent those beds out to a white witch in the village. It's a, it's a Hippocratic garden. I thought, well, oh, my God, these herbs I recognize as being culinary herbs. I see coriander and I can see gooseberries and oregano and things, but she sees them as medicinal herbs making tinctures for people in the village, but I see them to eat. And I thought, wow, this is just amazing. Of course, I know who Hippocrates is, but... I had to see it and feel it to actually understand it. So I banked all of that stuff. And to cut a long story short, um, we never found Utopia. What we realized was the chapter of our life was about our kids. So we came back to Australia um, to, to live. Uh, where else can you take them to the beach after school every day? You know, pretty lucky kids. So we, we came back here. And I knew that it was time for me to do something that I wanted to do for me. I, I, I didn't want to work uh, for a, a sh another chef, I, I wanted to start really working on my idea. So I thought, well, I love baking. I want to learn how to bake. And I, I knew Igor and Ludmilla quite well. We used to go to the, the Belgrave um, Street uh, Bakery a lot. We lived around the corner on Hewlett Street at that time. Uh, and I used to bake there occasionally on a Saturday before I started my rock pool shift. So um, I knew them. So I asked them, I said, look, can I come and work in your bakery? And they, they opened their arms to me for, you know, nearly a year I baked wow. with them. And, you know, I was a pretty, pretty well-known cook in the kitchen at that time. I'd cooked right through Europe and, and I 
had ran Rockpool and stuff. And now here I was in a bakery, um, shit kicker, being <laughs> the smallest of the smallest, you know. But I didn't care because I was learning from the best and I loved it. And then after about nine months, my wife, after a frustrating day with the boys, just said, Mike, listen, she was pointing at me really hard in the chest. You know how someone will point at you and poke you and hit you hard and you, they're bruising you, your solar plexus with a, with a, with a, with a pointy finger. They say, she's saying, Mike, listen, you're a chef. You're not a baker. Sort this out. You've got a young family. Let's just get your shit together and open a restaurant. You don't need, you don't need a billion-dollar fit-out. All you need is a table for people to sit at and an oven to cook from. Sort it out. Hurry up. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. She means business. <laughs> so I went, I got on my scooter and I rode into Surrey Hills to visit a good friend of mine called Andrew Forst. He had um, an, an old antique shop on Nicholson Street called Isiela. And um, I said, Andrew, do you want to have a dinner party? And he said, yeah, sure. I said, well, okay, well, you invite 20 people and I'll invite 20 people. So I hired a three-ton truck. I emptied out his warehouse. I went to the, the market on a Friday. I got all this stuff. I didn't know what I was going to cook. I just looked what was the best, and I cooked a, a five-course meal with a wine match for 20 of his friends and 20 of my friends at the back of his warehouse in Surrey Hills on a Sunday night. And it was amazing because I knew his 20 friends, and he knew my 20 friends by, uh, by huge coincidence. So... I looked at him after it and I thought, I said, look, do you want to keep doing this? And he said, yeah, it was fun. So I did this illegal pop-up the back of his warehouse every second Sunday for a year to the day. It's quite amazing. It was fun. So every Friday I used to go to the market. I had no idea what I was going to cook. And then every Sunday in the morning we used to go and empty out his warehouse into this three-ton truck, park it down the lane. I used to hire an oven from Pages. I used to use my uh, friend's, friend's crockery, my grandmother's cutlery, and do 42 people every second Sunday. Cash at the door. Roller door went up. We didn't have any liquor license. We didn't have any council approval. Roller door went up at 6.30, and down it went. Everyone sat. No one knew what they were going to eat. The menu was written on a chalkboard. They sat down. My wife served with a couple other people, and we did it for a year. Um, and... Uh, we started, Miffy wrote a nice little piece on me in Time Out and Pat wrote one in Gourmet Traveller and, and I thought, Mike, you're, you're going to be exposed. You better stop this. You're going to get in the shit. So by this time I'd met some people who had a space in Rosebury and they found this space um, in the old canning factory of Rosella on Dunning Avenue. And they said, look, we've got this enormous space. We want to take the back. We've got 2,000 square metres for our furniture. Um, you got 600 at the front. Do you want to do something? I thought, oh, wow, this is what an amazing building. It's got beautiful bones. I really love it. Um, but fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. So, but I said, yeah, let's let's do it. Dunning Dunning Avenue in the middle of Rosebery. My, I I didn't know where Rosebery was to be honest with you. It's where my father learned to drive because it's got wide wide streets, easy three point turning. But it's this, you know, this at that time. This is 2011, 2012. It was a you know, semi-industrial area with a small residential uh, perimeter around the outside of it, halfway between the CBD and the airport. And I thought, well, you know, I love the building. Yeah, I want to do something. It's time for me to do something. But I didn't know what I was going to do. So I sat 
in the middle of the floor. For about two weeks, I'd go in there every day. This building hadn't been used for 10 years. Before that, it was used by aristocrat. And it was this beautiful old building. And I just sat there once. And I thought, well, this, this was a, a can this, there would have been a canteen in this place. There would have been somewhere where people used to sit and gather and have a cup of tea together. This is a big factory. Why don't you build a canteen where people can gather, where you've got all walks of life, queuing up, talking. They've all got equal dibs of the food. You don't have to write a menu. You can just cook what you want, put it up on the pass, and people choose, pay at the till, sit down and go. It's, it's a simple process. And that's, that's where I thought about Kitchen by Mike, sitting on the ground in this building. And then we built it, and we opened in 2012. And then um, we wanted to open it. We wanted to have a green space at that time. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't have a, a garden, but we had a car space, which was 80 square metres. So the year later... Uh, when we'd saved enough uh, enough money to do it, we realised that, gosh, we'd have to grow a lot of carrots. We were doing well over a 1,000 people a day wow. um, at Rosebury on the weekends, and we thought, my God, what are we going to do for a kitchen for a, for a kitchen garden? And then, then it came back to me. Why don't you do what that woman was doing in Wales? Build a physic garden. So we, we divided it amongst five beds, and I named the beds after five parts of the body, which... I obviously focus on the gut. I'm a chef. I'm a little bit overweight, but I love food. So I focus on gastroenterology. I, I focused on um, ears, nose, and throat, dermatology. So all of, the, all of the plants in these beds focus on that part of the body. And that was a learning, that was a real learning space for people to walk through and learn about food because I, what I wanted people to do was to, to actually realize that good, wholesome food is doing something for your body. It's not about taking supplements or anything else. It's about understanding that good food is good for you. Um, and, and that's really how Kitchen by Mike came about. Um, yeah, food for everyone, egalitarian food. Well, and the impact it had was extraordinary. And, you know, we've got some of the best everyday eats on the planet and Kitchen by Mike really set a standard uh, for that in Sydney. Um, what are your feelings about that model that you have moving forward, um, given the circumstances? And because you reintroduced Kitchen by Mike in the city, um, yeah, you know, how do, how do you feel moving forward, given this experience? Look, it's it's going to be it's going to be challenging. Um, I believe in the model. Um, I, I believe in in looking at ways to make food. Um, affordable for people um, and I think the model will work. We'll need to really focus on on our COVID plan. We're going to need to have plenty of sanitizer. We're going to be using gloves and there'll be plenty of space between people. Um, look, we've, we're, our, our health and hygiene uh, policy there is very strong. We follow, you know, a HACCP plan, which, you know, we, we understand that. But I guess we, it's all about us making the customer feel safe, that it doesn't matter whether you're in a kitchen or whether I'm serving to you in the pass. It's the same, really. It doesn't make any difference at all because I'm, I'm either handling the food with tongs, with gloves on, or someone in the kitchen will be taking a steak out of a pan and putting on a plate for you with tongs. It doesn't really matter. So I'm not afraid of keeping the model. I know that I just need to have a very clear plan to show the customer that they're safe. Um, for the night, um, we we changed our plan last year um, after sort of October 
to a better plan at night where we have a set menu. So that will work in our favour with the new restricted dining space where you come in and, and you, you know, we have a, res, a restricted menu which is uh, which which is a set price, and we will keep that going because um, just just because we're restricted to the amount of players that we can have in in the restaurant, obviously. So I think I think we'll keep the model as it is. I'm pretty comfortable with it, uh, and you know the the hardest thing I think we're all going to find is, let's face it. Anthony, over the last 10, 15 years, we've been paying $3.50 for a coffee. The price hasn't gone up. And I think there's going to be a time, there's a tipping point, and it's about to happen where people, where customers are going to have to put their hand in their pocket and realise that there's a due price rise in what we do. Because everything is increasing around us. Power, utilities... Producers, look at look at what we've just come out of. Droughts for the last three to four years, the worst we've ever seen. Huge bushfires. Now we've got COVID. You're getting people that that cannot recover from any of this. It hasn't helped the price of anything. So we've we've really kept the prices as, as well as we can. I think in our industry for as long as we can. But I think there's going to be some changes with pricing, and I think people need to get used to that. And I think that's going to be the struggle. Um, and we're going to have to see where we go with that. What about the other elements of your your work? You know, what are Emirates Leisure saying about the return of Kitchen by Mike at the airport? Look, they're they're really excited by it, um, but again, there it's it's pretty unclear. No one's willing to put put a, a line down, but everyone is saying airports aren't international airports aren't going to open for full until next year. Um, I know New Zealand flights, et cetera, are all on the cards, but let's face it, I don't think anyone is going to be looking to travel. So that's on ice for quite some time. You know, that'll be closed nearly a year by the time we hit to open time next year. It's damaging for, for Emirates. Um, it's damaging for the airport. It's damaging for me personally. But, um, you know, we made a few tweaks to that also um, last, last year and the year before. It's very interesting an airport has hotspots. It has times when people are moving through the airport at capacity, and then it has dead times when no one is in the airport. And it's interesting that Kitchen by Mike is really great at doing lunch. That's what people love, Kitchen by Mike. They love queuing up, having something quick to eat, and, and going back to work. But lunchtime at the airport is the slowest time. The busiest time at the airport is breakfast, and also moving into sort of earlier dinner time. So we adjusted our offering quite some time ago to sort of deal with those hot times. Um, breakfast is cooked to order, which Kitchen by Mike has always done, so we hadn't had to change that. But but we had to put in a dinner menu um, at the airport just to deal with, with the different ebb and flow of, of customers, and, and that's worked well. So the airport will, will reopen. I don't think we'll be doing too many big changes there. Um, Again, they'll be working on heavily on their on their policy of of safety uh, of, of customer safety. But other than that, yeah, we won't. I don't think we'll see that open until next year. Um, if we see it earlier, then I'll be over the moon. <laughs> One of the reasons that you're the curator at CarriageWorks is your incredible connection with producers and um, your willingness to use you know the best possible produce and and really do as little to it as possible um, to let it shine on the plate. Um, 
you know, is there a chance the farmers markets will return in the near future? There, look, there are farmers markets that are still in operation now, and I think that 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 is that's fantastic, and I think it should be like that because let's look at social distancing at the moment in the supermarket. I was at a supermarket the other day. Um, and I notice people pushing each other out of the way, taking stuff, rubbing shoulders. There's no social distancing. People, it's all lip service. There are some people that really care, and there are a lot of people that really don't care. They don't really understand. So I think by banning farmers' markets, I think it's a false economy, and I'm pleased that many farmers' markets are still in operation. Carriageworks Farmers' Market is part of part of the Carriageworks Precinct, and the Carriageworks Precinct is, is the biggest multi-arts performance space in Australasia. So, you know, our farmer's market had over 80 New South Wales producers on every Saturday of the year. We saw 5,000 people walk through there So, uh, every Saturday. So it's important that we do get a chance to reopen that. But really, it's, it's at the demise of, of the, the voluntary administration that it's in at the moment. And really, um, whether there's a benefactor that's willing to take it on because... Um, I know that I'm probably speaking out of hand here, but you know, it, it's CarriageWorks is heavily funded by the government as an arts institution, um, and the government didn't fund it this time, so it needs to find private funding. So that's what I hope happens over the next few weeks. Um, and if everything is positive, then I'm sure we'll open the, the CarriageWorks farmers market again. Um, but it, it's it's a sad loss. Um, you know, it's it's some really incredible producers through there and they're all doing a lot of their own thing now as well. I think a lot of people saw it coming and a lot of people have, have basically set up their own internet sales of their products. Um, Sydney City Council is allowing some of the producers to park on Wilson Street um, on a Saturday morning and, and um, offload their boxes that are ordered pre-ordered over the internet. So there's no money exchange but they're able to trade still and I think that's really great. Um, and yeah, that's that's where it is at the moment. But gosh, I'm I'm just that's probably one of the biggest things I miss the most is the connection with the producers uh, and 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 the connection of of the seasons and and you see that every every Saturday at the market um, and I, I miss that a lot. So fingers crossed, we'll we'll get it back open. What have you learned through this whole experience? Um. Do you know, I, I, I have different thoughts every day about where we are and what we're doing. I quite often question um, where we are as a society. Um, I, I wonder what, what can we do to, to better ourselves. I, think, I do think, I guess um, what I have seen is more of my family cherish that and, and really enjoy that time um, and understand that people... People are changing rapidly and people, it's, it reminds me of the Dead Kennedys album, Give Me Convenience or Give Me Death. That's where people are going these days. People want food delivered to them and, um, and we need to sort of react to that. So that's what we've done and we're really proud of, of, our, of our change, but we'll maintain the restaurants. We believe in that. That's what we do. Um, I often think, gosh, this COVID virus is it because the world has is, is really been in a, in a bad way for some time and, 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 and it's punishing us? You know, I live near the beach and when the beaches were closed, the beaches never looked better. Honestly, 
There was no slick of coconut oil on the on the on the top. There was no rubbish. There was just it's amazing. Um, and I just think the the world is recovering very quickly during this time. Um, I hope people understand that that you know we we do need to um, look at where we are and what's what's happened around us and try and be positive about it. I think it's been a there's been positives and negatives with COVID virus, and I think it's really it's important that we see it with balanced eyes. I don't want I don't look at it with just negativity. There is positivity uh, with it as well, and I think we we have to react in that way. Now you love uh, restaurants and being in them and having that interaction with your guests. Oh, you know when when you open up again and you're back in the restaurant, how, how is that going to feel? You know, it's, I I just I miss it so much. Um, I, I miss standing at the pass, putting the chicken on your plate, and and just having a, a quick ten second chat with somebody who I may have seen a day ago in the same line or a month ago in the in the same line. You know, I. I love talking to people. I love meeting meeting people. I love listening to people, um, and and it's just you know I, I I I'm proud of what my staff do, and um, yeah, it's I, I miss it, and I miss eating at restaurants. You know, it's it's a really you know restaurants are a part of you know the social fabric. It's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing that that we're we're part of, and I just I miss that. I think we're we're very important in society, and I hope. I hope that um, we don't get tipped over by um, by by you know the expense of things and by people that are expecting the wrong thing. I think I hope there's respect, there's mutual respect by customers that are that are coming back in. But yeah, I just miss I miss serving people and and uh, and being amongst people that love food. Um, that's that's what I love. Yeah, I'm kind of missing that too, mate. And I could listen to you all day. You're amazing. That story of Chimbai <laughs> Mike is extraordinary. Um, mate, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Um, good luck with everything. You've had one hell of a ride. Um, but keep in touch and, and uh, let us know how you go through the year. Uh, thank you for inviting me on and, um, and best of luck for you too. I'm, I'm really proud of what you're doing. It's amazing and, um, and good luck to everyone. Lots of love. See you later. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.